0: you know sometimes i turn on the on the television and i feel like i am reading a book that's about 600 pages and i just jumped in about 450 pages in and i don't i don't really know what i'm reading but i feel i feel like i should and then i feel like i should have an opinion on what i'm reading and i really have no idea
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Grace Church Members Podcast. I'm Chris Rivers, your host for today, and excited to be with you for another conversation. If you're new to our podcast, we're glad you're here. Our goal on every episode is to address discipleship issues in the life of Grace Church and discuss how to be more fully devoted to God. This episode is a little different because we're tackling a current event, the war in Israel. Now, this is the most contentious land in the world, and the debate surrounding the existence of the state of Israel and the Palestine is also contested. In this episode, we are trying to accomplish a couple of things and we're purposely not addressing many things. And let me start with the latter. The massacre and the kidnapping that took place amongst the civilian population of Israel by Hamas is not the subject of this podcast, mainly because we don't have words to add to the horrors that have already been reported. We also are not trying to speak on just war theory or tackle this from a political or even theological perspective. Our purpose is more basic. I think many of you will resonate with our opening quote from Scott. The attack from Gaza on Israeli citizens thrust all of us into a centuries-old story that you simply may not be familiar with, yet can't and shouldn't escape. So our goal is really twofold. Number one, give you a historical overview of the region and some facts and geography around how we got here. And number two, give help you place our ministry partners, a group of Arab Christians based out of Nazareth in that region as they await an uncertain future. In the room, we have Scott Mazingo and Tim Wardle. Welcome, guys. Hey, Chris. Good to be with you.
2: Thanks for having me here.
1: Yeah. Well, Tim, you are a member of Grace Church's Pelham campus, and you are also the chair of the religion department and associate professor of New Testament at Furman University. So we thought you would be a great candidate for a conversation to help our church think about this topic. So could you just begin by telling us about your connection to Israel?
2: Sure. Sure. So my wife and I moved to Israel in 1999, and we lived there until 2001. Okay. And I was a master's student at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I went there to learn. I had no preconceived ideas of what what that would look like. Uh I just wanted to learn more about Judaism, about my faith, about the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did a two-year master's degree there. And then um, in 2015, started going back more regularly. Okay. And so once or twice a year now, I help lead groups uh, to Israel, uh, sometimes with Grace Church, sometimes with Furman students or Furman alumni this past July. I participated in an archaeological dig in the north of Israel. Wow. So I try and go in various capacities.
1: Okay.
0: What was, what was that like?
2: It was really hot, uh, <laughs> really hard, and I would do it again in a heartbeat.
0: Did you, did you find anything?
2: I found a Roman coin. A Roman vase that was all smashed up and I found a lot of dirt <laughs> a lot of dirt
0: that's that's what I would expect on an archaeological dig mm-hmm. um, Tim we wanted to have you in I mean you're not a geopolitical expert you're not necessarily a, a expert on the history um, of the state of Israel that's not what you teach mm-hmm. um, but you do have a lot of uh, knowledge and you're around the subject and so much more qualified than Chris and I, but let's go back to your time Their connection sense. Do you have friends that are still in the region?
2: Yeah, we do. Sharon and I both have uh, good friends who are still living in Jerusalem and the area around it. Uh, they have a, various, or a variety of occupations. Uh, some are pastors, tour guides, professors, but others are midwives, nurses, uh, businessmen, um, nonprofit workers. So uh, they... Their occupations cut across a huge swath of Israeli and Arab society.
0: So let's um, let's work on some of our, our terminology. So Israeli and Arab. Let's start there. Kind of define those terms for us.
2: Sure. So Arab is a very broad term and it refers to anyone who originally came from the Arabian Peninsula, so Saudi Arabia would be the origins. But now it refers to anyone who lives in a mostly Arab-speaking country. Um, so think about. Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, those kinds of countries, they're all Arab. And within that, then you have like Lebanese Arabs, Syrian Arabs. And so for Israel, what you'd say is you've got Palestinian Arabs.
0: Okay. And where does that term Palestine come uh,
2: from? It's actually an, it's an old term. In the time of Jesus, uh, so in the, in the first century, the Romans were in control of what we now call Israel, and they called that the province of Palestine. And so the term Palestina uh, goes back to the Roman period, so it's a very old term, but it's become a more political term recently when you talk about a people group who live there who are now called Palestinians.
0: Okay, so we have Palestinian Arabs, mm-hmm. uh, and we have Israelis. Israeli is a nationality?
2: Israeli is a political term, um, and speaking about someone who has Israeli citizenship, well, someone who's in citizenship in the land of Israel, Okay. right? So. There are a lot of Jews who have Israeli citizenship. About 80% of Israeli citizens are Jewish. But about 20% of those Israeli citizens are Arab. And so you've got Palestinians on the one, on the one, one category. Then you've got Jews who are Israelis in another category. Then you also have Arabs who are Israelis in a third category. Mm. They identify with the Palestinian people, but they have Israeli citizenship.
0: So when we are talking about our partners... Association of Baptist Churches, um, mainly around the Nazareth area. They identify as Arab Christians, uh, so Arab by nationality, Christian by faith, mm-hmm. and there, but there's Israeli citizens. Correct. So what, is, what does that mean for them?
2: It means that they have certain rights that other Palestinians do not have. So they can vote in Israeli elections. Um, they can be conscripted into the army, although most are not. Um, they have to pay taxes to the Israeli state, um, and so when I say Israeli, almost always that means a Jewish. So a Jewish state, right? Right. So they're kind of caught because they identify more with their Arab brothers and sisters, but they live in a in a society where they are surrounded by Jews.
0: So they are a minority of a minority.
2: Yeah, Arab Christians are definitely minority of minority, um, because the the Arab part they're an, they're Arab Israelis, so they're twenty percent of the Israeli population, so minority there, but most Arabs are Muslim, and so if you're an Arab Christian, you're also in the minority. Yeah. In Nazareth, it's probably, I don't know the numbers for sure, but I would guess it's about 80 to 90% Muslim, mm-hmm. 10 to 20% Christian.
0: Okay, and just for context, I think the there's about 18 churches represented in the association, about a 1,000 baptized believers, about 3,000 in their community, I believe is what they would say, according to their website. And we'll have the website um, URL link in the notes and also some specific uh, prayer requests that we'll revisit at the end of the episode from our partners over there. So, okay, so that sets the stage a little bit and uses some terms that that get thrown around. Hopefully that's been helpful so far. So when we talk about um, the land of Israel— Uh, Let's go. We'll go all the way back to the Bible. All right. So this is um, this is the land of David. Mm -hmm. This is the land of Solomon. This is the land of the divided kingdom post exile. This is uh, Ezra, Nehemiah. This is the land of Jesus, Jesus and the disciples. Um, So what happens around AD 70, the years leading up to that, that that changes the dynamic in this area? And then kind of walk us through maybe some stages that happened after that.
2: Yeah, so the year 70 AD is an important one for Jews and Christians. Uh, It's the year when the Romans uh, marched into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and the city. They did it because there was a Jewish revolt. And so the Romans came in and wanted to put down the revolt to make sure that they could maintain their dominance in the region Um, but what it did for jews and christians is it moved christians and jews out of jerusalem and out of israel proper they didn't all leave Um, some of them stayed but a lot of them fled to, to neighboring countries or just neighboring areas
0: so then who fills the the vacuum in the years after that
2: uh good question so between the year 70 and the year like about 320 are, uh, Jerusalem is not a very populated place. Um, Israel's not that populated. The Roman army is, uh, the, t- the 10th legion is stationed in Jerusalem. They're just kind of maintaining peace and order in their empire, but it's not an important place. Um, in the 320s, um, the Roman Empire became Christian, at least the Byzantine part of it. So you've got what you call Byzantine Christianity for about 300 years. So Christians control Jerusalem and Israel more broadly. And then in the six, in 638, The Muslims take over Jerusalem, and they are in control of Jerusalem for about 400 years. Um, And so there's various uh, Muslim dynasties that rule. And then in 1099, the Crusaders come, the Crusaders from Europe, and they control Jerusalem and the surrounding areas until 1187. (laughs) So lots of dates here. And then from 1187, when the Muslim armies defeated the Crusaders, you've got Muslim control of Jerusalem again, and that Muslim control of Jerusalem extends from 1187 up until 1917, so for a long period of time.
0: So we start out with the Byzantines, and Constantine might be a name that folks recognize from that period of time. And then we have um, the Muslims, and then we have the Crusaders. Um, Crusaders and Jews, how'd that... how'd that go
2: did not go very well this is one period of time when Jews were not allowed to live in Jerusalem and they didn't really want to because uh, the Crusaders viewed them as enemies the Crusaders viewed Muslims and Jews and Eastern Christians as enemies and so the initial wave of Crusaders came they just slaughtered everyone that they that didn't look like them after a while they began to realize that was a bad policy so they began to get along with the Arabs near them um, but yeah, they were a rough group.
0: And so, going all the way back to uh, what we might call the um, diaspora or the scattering mm-hmm. of Christians, we think about the Christians, um, we think about the Great Commission and how God used the persecution, basically pushing Christians all over the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And so, here we are, right? Ends of the earth. We're in mm-hmm. the upstate of South Carolina. Um, as followers of Jesus we don't really think a lot about what happened to the Jewish people so where did the Jewish people go
2: yeah good question the Jewish people they, they always see they've always seen Jerusalem and Judea as their homeland so every time they celebrate the Passover meal they talk about next year in Jerusalem so Jerusalem has always been a central idea but Jewish Jews have not been in Jerusalem very prominently since the year well, starting in the year 70 up until the year 1948. So it was a long period of time when jews some Jews were living in Jerusalem, but not a lot. And so they were spread into various countries. So they went into uh, what we now call the Middle East, so Arab, Arab-speaking countries today. They moved to Europe, um, and then they moved even farther, like to the, to the United States. But they just spread all over the place.
0: So in, in Europe, there's heavy populations in, what, Russia... Poland.
2: Yeah. And Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe. And, uh, Spain was actually a huge Jewish center until, uh, the Inquisition. And then they were forced to leave in the 14, about 1500s.
0: And is it, is it true that there are different approaches to viewing the homeland? Um, like some religious Jews, they're like, Hey, that's God's deal. And he's going to bring us into the homeland when he's ready. And God's in charge of that. And then there are other, maybe more secular Jews that have a little more independence and kind of move more aggressively towards returning to the homeland. Is that is that fair to say?
2: Let me give you, I'm going to go back a little bit historically. Yeah. So there's the, uh, the rise of Zionism is a movement that began in force in the late 19th century. So 1880s, 1890s, something like that. And, that.
0: and that word, that's important because that word gets used a it ton does. right now.
2: So Christians and Jews both have various forms of Zionism. So Zionism uh, really just means uh, the desire to live in Zion or to live in Jerusalem. Okay. Or you could say Israel more broadly. Right. So for Jews, it was this desire to return to their homeland. Uh, But there were various kinds of Zionism or forms of Zionism. And so, Scott, that's partly what you were getting at. Some of the more religious Jews said, we don't really think we should have a political state of Israel. Uh, We think that when the the Messiah comes, he will create uh, the land of Israel, then we can all come back and it'll be this theocracy where God rules. Uh, But many other Jews said, we cannot wait for the Messiah, and so we need to create facts on the ground. So they started moving to Israel in the early 1900s, um, mid-1900s, so um, as there's persecution in Europe, especially in Western Europe, sorry, in Eastern Europe, um, you start to see waves of Of Jews slowly immigrating. Mm -hmm. Right, so in the in the late 1800s, 1880s, 1890s, you see a series of pogroms that are beginning in uh, Russia, Poland, that area. It's called the Pale of Settlement. So Jews are starting to leave that area of Europe, and and they're trying to either moving to either Western Europe or they're trying to move to places where they're safe. And one of the places they wanted to move was to Israel. And so you start to see Jewish immigration. Israel in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it's not always legal. And so Jews can't always get there, but the desire is really, is really, um, increasing. And so you see Zionism increasing as a, as a religious movement.
0: And when they are, when they get there, you know, what, what do they find? Like, like who's living in the land and how do they begin to change the land?
2: Yeah, so when, when Jews began to immigrate to Israel, and there, there weren't, it was not in great numbers, but when they started to come, what they found were a lot of Arabs living in the land, along with some Jews living in the land. But it was not well populated. I mean, there were various there were villages, there were towns, but there weren't big cities. Uh, and so when Western Jews, meaning European Jews, when they start moving into Israel, they start to buy up land as much as they can, because that was the system in Europe, right? you, you wanted to own the land so that you could farm the land. A little different system had applied um, in Israel at that time. And so the, the, just the idea of buying land and owning land and not letting people on your land was a, new, mm. a newish kind of thing yeah. that made these Western Jews uh, not very welcome among both the Jews who had been living there and among the Arab population.
0: Mm. Because before that, everybody's getting along pretty well.
2: They are getting along pretty yeah. well. That's right.
0: And um, so just some numbers. I think these are probably close enough to, to say publicly. Uh, 1880, about 500,000 Arabs, 10% Christian, and about twenty to 30,000 Jews. And so both the Jews and the Christians are minorities, but everybody's, everybody's working together to just live peacefully in the land. Um, it doesn't mean there wasn't tension or strife. I mean, that's going to happen within different people groups, but, um, it seems like as the economy began to change, then the religious differences began to get greater between those groups. Um, just for, just for size, I meant to say this earlier, but, uh, Israel roughly the size of New Jersey. That's right. So Israel's rough, this roughly the size of New Jersey with a current population of about 9 million. So just for comparison, South Carolina is just a little over 5 million. Mm-hmm. So New Jersey with like twice the size, twice the population of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So it's a good number of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then take us up to uh, kind of World War I and where what's England's role? England plays a pretty big role in this changing of the, the, the land that we now call Israel. What, take, walk us through a couple of steps there.
2: Sure. So the Ottoman Empire had uh, fought on the side of the Germans in World War One, and as it turned out that they were on the losing side, the British and the French, who were on the winning side, came to what we now call the Middle East, and they began to carve up the Middle East into certain areas. And so when the Ottoman Empire disintegrated, they were the ones who controlled Jerusalem and Israel. Um, the French took everything north of what we now call Israel. So Lebanon and Syria became French controlled and then the countries of what we now call Israel, Jordan, parts of Egypt, parts of Iraq even became uh, became under British control. So okay. after after World War 1 you get something called the British Mandate.
0: Okay. So that's a pretty big area for Britain to control. Mm-hmm. And so then wh- what are what are they saying about promoting the migration of Jews back into the land?
2: About 1917, there's something called the Balfour Declaration. So, A guy named Edward Balfour um, wrote this memo back to Britain and said, hey, we support the creation of a Jewish state. Um, At the same time, you get a different British politician making promises to Arab peoples who live in the same land. And so right right in the beginning of the British period, the British are trying to establish their their control over the region, and they're making promises to both people groups, which doesn't lead to good things in the end.
0: Yeah, but it sounds very political. It's very political.
2: Yeah, very yeah. political.
0: So um, so Britain's a major player in how this area is getting carved up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and literally, when we talk about carved up, we're creating boundary lines, national boundary lines. Yeah,
2: they took maps and just drew lines.
0: Just drew lines on maps, which, I mean, it's just, you know, like... Just d- different different way of thinking about where we landed, where we are now. And so, um, and then we have a terrible, a really, really terrible time in history leading up to um, World War II. So just kind of kind of walk us through some of what was happening. And I think that's probably a time to introduce anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Can you give us, you gave us a good definition of Zionism. Can you give us a good definition of anti-Semitism?
2: Yeah, anti-Semitism uh, really just means anti-Jewish sentiments. Right? So, things where you're blaming Jewish people for certain things. You can take a lot of different forms. There is something called Christian anti Semitism that goes back to like the second century. It's, it's a very deeply established and tragic thing. But anti Semitism, um, in terms of anti Jewish sensitivities, began to really ramp up in the same time that Zionism is becoming a really important thing. And those two things go together. Right. Right? So, as Jews are feeling more pressure, They're feeling, um, discriminated against. Some of them are being, um, bullied or are being killed. Uh, at the same time that that's happening, they're thinking we need, we need to go somewhere. We need somewhere safe. Sure. Yeah. And so the rise of Zionism in the late 1800s, early 1900s is happening at the same time where you're starting to see a lot of anti-Jewish sensibilities, especially in in Western and Eastern Europe.
0: Yeah. So they're just, they're looking for a place to go. Mm -hmm. They do not have a home. Um, even here in the United States, there's strong anti-Semitic sentiment. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we we know about what happened during World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, we know um, the Holocaust. Um, take take what I said earlier about the population of South Carolina. I think 5.2 million. So 6 million Jews die in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just unfathomable, right? And so that... Definitely um, changes the dynamic as far as how the Jews are viewed in some circles on the world stage. Is that correct? That's right. And so the best, tell us about the United Nations. What role are they playing? Why why do they even come into uh, the conversation? Uh, What's the role between the United Nations and um, Britain on the heels of World War II? Mm -hmm.
2: So the United Nations is this... This collective body that individual countries um, have given, have ceded certain control or, or powers to them to make decisions, um, make a global or universal decisions. The United Nations has a role to play or had a role to play in the creation of the state of Israel because the various countries that are in the United Nations wanted a lot of them wanted israel to be or they wanted a safe place for the jewish people right right they wanted this this land to be or this country to be created
0: particularly on the hills of what had just particularly on the
2: hills of the holocaust right yes. so there's a lot of um, a sense of compassion of horror at what happened and so this this guilt really too of yeah. we, we need to do our part to protect the jewish people because we haven't done a good job of it and so that's how a lot of european countries especially Western European countries, got behind the creation of the State of Israel. Britain was the biggest backer. The U.S. was a very strong backer. Um, So you've got various countries who are really pro of the creation of the State of Israel. At the same time in the United Nations, you've got a a collection of countries that are very opposed to the creation of the State of Israel. So it was Mm -hmm. a very contested thing in the United Nations. Mm -hmm. Um, The vote was definitely not unanimous. Um, But what the United Nations did, because they had the collective... Um, authority to make some decisions. They said, "We think the British mandate, meaning the land that is in what we now call Israel, that it should be divided between Jews and Arabs." Right. And so they came up with a plan. They drew lines on a map, um, and the Arab uh, people, the, the Arab people who were in control in Israel at the time, they rejected the plan because it wasn't in their favor. Right. They were going to lose stuff.
0: They had, they had the majority of the population, but they were getting slightly less than 50% of the land.
2: Yeah. I mean, up until that time, they owned all the land. Right. Right. So <laughs> any di- any division of the land they were opposed to, but especially the way it was being divided, because right. it wasn't a fair share. Right. Say.
0: So what happens next?
2: There's a war. Yeah. Uh, so the war goes by different names. In 1948, the British have now they've left Israel. Um, there's a power vacuum.
0: And that's important because they have been involved post-Ottoman Empire, British mandate, but basically they kind of washed their hands of the whole
2: situation. They did.
0: And they just left.
2: It was not a... The British just wanted out. Sure, yeah. They wanted out. Man. And they had supporters of the Jews and they had supporters of Arabs in their army.
0: I mean, part of... I mean, you said earlier, use the word mess, Chris. I mean, part of this conversation is to show... It's been a mess for a long time Mm -hmm. and there are human decisions and historical decisions that, and sure there's different perspectives and different interpretations and how things came about, but, but there are um, factual things that happened that have created a lot of this, a lot of this mess, Mm -hmm. which when you you turn on cable news and you're like, Oh my gosh, I, I see no end game. I see no way out of this apart from Jesus so this, we're just trying to get catch you up a little bit on the history of how we, how we even got here. So we have, um, we have a war in forty eight. Mm-hmm. We have a war now. So what's happening during the war? What's it, what are some of the natural consequences of war? In
2: 1948 or now?
0: Sorry, now, uh, 1948. Okay. Yeah.
2: So in 1948, there was a war between mm-hmm. Jews and Arabs. Uh, the goal for both is to take as much land as they can get. Um, the Israeli side won the war. So they call it the War for Independence. So it's celebrated every May something. I forget the exact uh, date. On the Arab or Palestinian side, they refer to that conflict as the catastrophe, the Nakba, mm. right? Because they lost. And what, it, what ended up happening is Israel actually took even more land than the UN had partitioned for them, mm. right? So they got even more land, the Arabs got even less. And one of the effects of that war, which really leads to some of the contemporary conflicts that you see today in Gaza, is there was a refugee crisis.
0: Mm. And so, by how large of a crisis?
2: So when Israel took as much land as they did, most Arabs who lived in that land fled, right? right for very, I mean, it's war, It's war, flee, right? right? Sure. They, they fully assumed that they would be allowed back into their land at some point when the hostilities were over. That never happened. And so it created this refugee problem where you got about 700,000 uh, Palestinians who flee to various countries or well, various countries around Israel. So mm-hmm. Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt are the places where those, where those people fled.
0: Okay. So uh, that, so hundreds of thousands of people, 700,000 of people that are fleeing natural consequences of war. Um, some migration, some are displaced, um, Borders are set, looking to return back, and that's just not possible for, for, for a number of them. Um, so then what happens next?
2: What happens next? Well, let me back up and say one other thing. So most Palestinians fled. Some of them stayed in their land, right? And so the, the people who now live in Nazareth, who are partners yeah. with uh, Grace Church, they were part of the contingent who stayed. So okay. they didn't flee. So if you, if in 1948, if, you're, if your family fled, you're now called a refugee. If your family stayed, you're an Israeli citizen, right? So you're an Israeli Arab.
0: Really? That's, that's the. It goes
2: to 1948. Between 1948 and 1967, uh, the neighboring Arab countries around Israel are unhappy about Israel controlling uh, the land that they do, right? Because up for, for 1,300 years or so, that landed all of Arab, and now all of a sudden this Western group, really, that's how they thought of the Jews coming in, they thought of these Europeans who are coming in and taking land from them.
0: And are there still a good number of the refugees from uh, the war that are living in Jordan or other neighboring countries? At that time? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So so Arabs who were forced to flee from their homeland, uh, their ancestral home, right, they are living in Lebanon, Syria... Jordan, Egypt, right? So they were forced to flee, or sometimes it depends on who you ask, they voluntarily flee, were they forced to flee? Exactly. But they became refugees, they were not allowed back into their land. Okay. So in 1967, um, this growing anti-Israel sentiment, it's been growing in the Arab world, especially led by Egypt. And in 1967, uh, you get Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, all attacking Israel um, at the same time. Hmm. Uh, Israel responded, Israel uh, started the war, you could say because they hit the Egyptians first, but it was really in, it was because the Israelis knew this was coming. okay In 1967, it's called the six-day war because in six days, Israel doubled in size. Um, they took uh, an area of land called the Golan Heights from Syria, they took what's called the West Bank from Jordan, and they took the Gaza Strip from Egypt. right So all three of those um, territories became part of Israel proper. Or at least they were—they um, weren't necessarily legally annexed, but they—they they became under Israeli control.
0: Mm. And this is a this is a really big defining moment for this newer Jewish state. I mean, they—they they see God's hand provision. I mean, miraculous in 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 six days they're able to turn back enemies from all sides and take the land. And um, is it fair to say that that Zionist sentiment? maybe this is how God is securing their final place in the land is through this through war, yep. something like this.
2: That is certainly how a lot of Christian Zionists saw it and Jewish Zionists, right? Yeah. Both. Um, up until this point, there were a number of very religious Jews who had, who had decided not to support the state of Israel because it had been a, of human creation. But in the six day war, what they, what they claimed was that they saw God's hand in allowing Israel to defeat their enemies in six days, and so they, so some of these religious Jews said, "Okay, we're on board now. It's not just this human thing that's happening. God must be involved." Yeah. So Zionism, I, you would say that you are incorporating more branches of the Zionist movement into support of this. Yeah, that makes a lot of
0: sense. And so I think for the first time we've mentioned um, Gaza Strip and West Bank. Give us just quickly geography. Where is Gaza? What West Bank of what?
2: Sure. So the West Bank is much larger than the Gaza Strip. The West Bank is means the west side of the Jordan River, right? So the east bank of the Jordan River is the country of Jordan today. The west side was part of Jordan, um, but then when Israel conquered that territory in one thousand, nine hundred and sixty-seven, it became, became part of Israel. But it's designated differently. It's not, um, but what you call it matters, right? So you can call it the West Bank, the Occupied West Bank, the Palestinian territories, or if you're a strong Zionist, you might call it Judea and Samaria. You call it by its biblical names.
0: And this is where, like, the city of Bethlehem, the birthplace of of Jesus, would be.
2: Great point. So, Bethlehem is in the West Bank. Jericho is in the West Bank. Um, There's a bunch of biblical sites that are in the West Bank. They're in the
0: West Bank. And then, what about Gaza?
2: So, Gaza was a very small piece of land, it's about 25 miles. Uh, long and about six miles wide. Right? And you have
0: roughly two million people. And you've got people. about two
2: million people living in that small strip of land. Right,
0: half of which I think they say are
2: children. Yeah. 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 So the Gaza Strip then became this, it had been part of Egypt. Israel took that land from Egypt. They took even more. They took the Sinai Peninsula as well. Um, but what happened then is uh, a lot of the original Palestinian refugees who had fled to this place called the Gaza Strip to in order to flee um, the israelis they're now under israeli control and the israelis aren't very happy about it because there's a bunch of arabs that are now under their control and they don't know what to do with them the arabs aren't happy about it because they're under israeli control so even starting in 1967 it was kind of a a mess in some mm-hmm. ways in terms of what do you do with this land that we conquered but has all these people here that we don't I mean, if you're on the Jewish side, you say that we don't really want.
0: Right. Yeah, because there's always security concerns here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of in, a lot of fighting, just just all the just tension all the time. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, um, where where does Hamas, as it relates to Gaza, w- tell us about the who is Hamas and the rise of Hamas?
2: Sure. So Hamas is part of a larger movement. It's called the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood started in the 1920s. It was an Egyptian thing, and it spread to a lot of different Arab countries. And so you see branches of the Muslim Brotherhood in you know in various countries today. Most governments don't really like the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, they're more revolutionary. They're more reactionary. And they're more of a kind of return to very conservative Islam in some ways.
0: Yeah, they have strong religious beliefs.
2: They really do. Yeah. Right. And so... For Hamas specifically, the, the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood is Hamas. And Hamas was just one among several political parties among the Palestinian people um, until, well, they were just one of many until 2005. And in 2005, Israel, who had been controlling the Gaza Strip, they decided to pull out of the Gaza Strip and just leave it, at the, give it over to the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. They were tired of trying to, um, not really police it because they weren't in doing that they were trying just to make it secure for Israelis But they were trying to secure it from the inside. So they said we this is crazy mm-hmm. they pulled out say so we're gonna put up borders big fences and walls and And so in the as the Israelis are pulling out of the Gaza Strip You start you have Palestinian elections in the Gaza Strip, right? Because there has to be someone to take over right and Hamas ends up taking over okay so the Palestinian Authority had been kind of the other main, that's the other main party. They had been in control, and then they lost the elections to Hamas. And since 2005, there's not been any elections. Hamas okay. has just kept control.
0: Yeah, so for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically, as it relates to their existence in their charter, defining their mm-hmm. existence, they call for the eradication of all Jews, Correct.
2: They do. So in their charter, yeah, they said that they want to... I mean, one of the slogans right now is to free Palestine or or Palestinian, or Palestine all the way to the sea or something like that. Right, yeah. That's, that's a Hamas charter. They're saying that we don't want the state of Israel to even exist. We want all this land back. Yeah. And so Hamas is a, is a very militant group, uh, but it's complex. They're not just military. Uh, they're also... They're, um, they're in charge of the education system in Gaza they're in charge of all the civic kind of things. Like they do a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, like the humanitarian stuff.
2: Yeah, right? but they have a militant side to them. Yeah. that has not endeared them to many people.
0: And I think that's what where people say, "Well, do people, the folks living in Gaza, do, do they, what do they think of Hamas?" Well, I mean, I don't know that they have much of a, much of a yeah. choice. You
2: probably wouldn't get a straight answer if you asked them, right? Because they live. Many of them live in fear of Hamas. Yeah. Now some of them are supporters, but right. a lot of them live in fear. So Hamas isn't. I mean. All Hamas people are Palestinian, right? But not all Palestinians are Hamas. In fact, a very right. small number of Palestinians are Hamas. It's, it's in the of a of a place uh, that's two million people in in the Gaza Strip. If I were to venture a guess, I would say ten to twenty thousand are hardcore Hamas supporters, right? And then you've got millions. I mean, one point eight million, or at least one point nine. Anyway, a lot, right. not great mm-hmm. at math, sure. yeah. a lot are they're just they just happen to live there, right? That's and they, right, and they can't leave because. Israel controls the borders and Egypt controls the border crossing. And so Palestinians who live in the Gaza Strip are stuck.
0: Yeah. And they're different from Palestinians that live in the West Bank. Those two are not connected. um, And there are a number of folks. West Bank, like you said, is a much larger territory. Okay. So then um, just real quickly as as we kind of wrap up this portion, how do we get from 2005 to now? Any thoughts on what? You've seen most recently in the deterioration of hmm. the talks, hmm. the idea of a two-state solution. Any, th- any thoughts on that? Mm-hmm.
2: So a two st- the idea of a two-state solution is that there would be, at some point in the future, a Palestinian state and an Israeli state, right, side by side. That is becoming increasingly unlikely, um, mostly because of what are called Israeli settlements, so Jews going in and living in parts of the West Bank, and they used to be living in the Gaza Strip. That's what they, when they pulled out of the Gaza Strip, they, they left all their settlements. Um, in terms of like how we got to like the conflict just in the last three weeks, yeah. right? So once Hamas took over in the Gaza Strip, you, what you see is continual conflict between the P- Hamas and the Israeli government, which really just means Israel proper, right? And so Hamas will shoot rockets into, God, into Israel now and again. Israel will respond with much greater force to try and put it down. And that that conflict has been simmering since 2005 or six. It erupts every now and again. So in 2009, 2012, 2014, 2019, you see some um, sometimes where Israel respond with more force. Right. Um, and so what happened in three weeks ago was above and beyond anything that had happened before. Right. So Hamas really has been contained in the Gaza Strip, and they were they were able to, in various ways. Um, leave the Gaza Strip and come and slaughter a bunch of I mean, thirteen hundred yeah. Israelis. And so in previous conflicts you might have had like five Israelis die and there was a strong response. Thirteen hundred yeah. people dead and then about two hundred plus hostages. It's a different it's yeah. a different kind of thing. Yeah,
0: it's unfathomable what's happening. Right.
2: Yeah. So that's what leads to where we are now. It's kind of stuck because Israel doesn't Israel wants to go and free their hostages and get rid of Hamas, but they don't have an end game and so they I mean they don't want to go. They don't. Want, they do not want to go in and occupy the, the Gaza Strip again.
0: Right. And um, again, you have a number of Palestinians, um, Arab Palestinians, that would not support what Gaza has done by any by any means.
2: Correct. A lot of people in Gaza and a lot of people in the West Bank, Palestinians, would say that is that is totally against who we are as a people.
0: Yeah, which just adds to the complexity. Mm. Uh, and then we come back to our to our friends um, or Arab Christians, what, what, what would, what do you think life is like for them now? And then, um, Chris recently, the summer was part of a, a trip to go over and support them. And so we'll talk a little bit about what that was like. And, but what do you, what do you think the type of tension that they're, that they're feeling now they're in the North. So they're, um, shielded from a lot of the violence, which is down in the South or the threat of violence. Um, but, but I know I'm asking you to, you know, speak into their world a little bit, but mm-hmm. what I, do you think?
2: I mean, Arab Israeli life is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're a Christian or not, if you're Christian, it's even harder. Cause we talked about how they're a minority within a minority right. earlier on this podcast. But even if, but even if you're just like Muslim or Christian, if you're an Arab Israeli, um, you are looked at suspiciously. Mm-hmm. So you have citizenship, but you're really a second class citizen. Um, you don't, I mean, in theory, you have all the rights, but in practice, you don't really. Mm. Um, Nazareth is not as clean as other Israeli cities because these Israelis don't put as much money into it. Mm. Right? So there's a lot of things where they already feel marginalized. and an event like what happened and what is happening between Gaza and Israel, those same suspicions that are placed upon Hamas and Gaza are sometimes also placed upon Arab Israelis living anywhere. Right. Like we can't trust them. Uh, they might turn against us. All those things are feeding into um, the strong sense of being a minority yeah. in Israel.
0: And and they're living outside of the West Bank. Um, real quickly, some of your um, friends that live in like Bethlehem, mm-hmm. like their life is even more challenging as a uh, Arab Christian in the West Bank. Definitely. Just like transportation-wise, like just tell us a little bit of like what what that would be like to have work and go to a job.
2: Right. So. If, if uh, Grace Church were to go to Israel today, which we can't, but if we were to go just to, right, just today or right. tomorrow, we could very easily cross from Jerusalem into Bethlehem. There is a border; our bus just sails right through. If you are, if you happen to be an Arab or just a Palestinian living in Bethlehem, and you work on the Israeli side of the border, which some, which many do, uh, you might have to get up at four a.m. to get in line at the border crossing because it might take you about three hours to cross. Because the Israeli soldiers are checking everyone's ID. Um, then you work, and then to get back, it might be another two hours at the border to get back. And so just life is difficult. And just the things we take for granted, like transportation, um, it's, it's not gr- for granted for them, right? Yeah. Uh, just life is difficult.
0: Yeah. Um, Chris, what did, you, um, what did you witness? What did you feel? What did you experience when you were over there uh, visiting our partners?
1: Yeah, I would I would say definitely a group of people that are humble, kind, faithful in the small things, vulnerable. I mean, you talked about being the minority of the minority, Uh, but I mean, they have such joy and their smiles are never stopping. Um, They it was interesting to be there and to experience, um, that region. So we got there, we went in July and we got there, uh, and went to Nazareth, Nazareth Baptist house seminary is where ABC has kind of headquarters. So we got to meet, um, Bader Mansour, who is the uh, development officer there for ABC And he introduced us to the many different churches that are in this network. So there's 18 churches that they support within ABC. And we stayed in Tehran, which is north of Nazareth. And uh, that's where we were a home. We had that as a home base. So, you know, just meeting Ziad and his wife Rhonda and Josh and just a handful of people living there. Their church is a three-story Church, so they have the at the bottom. They have where children, student ministry meet. In the middle is where the church is, and then at the top was a place that we slept as a team. And so, just meeting them and connecting with them, they're just so kind. Feeding us, want to have a meal every every time we we with are with them. They you know that it's about to be good when they pull out the Coke, okay? They pull out a Coke (laughs) and they pull out these little shot glass plastic cups, which is what they pour the Coke in. And it's 11 o'clock at night and it's time to drink Coke and have a good time (laughs) and hang out. And so uh, they are doing great work there. We went there for a uh, VBS that was at a church in Benny. So Benny is north of Nazareth as well. Rama Church is... Uh, another church that was in this area. And so we went to support them. So it was a little bit of a different trip than we've ever done at Grace because we went there solely to support them in this VBS. They had 85 kids at this VBS at a, at a woman's house that she let them use the field because they don't actually have a physical building for the church in Benny. And just to see the student leaders. That they started this about ten years ago, and to see the leaders now who had started at the very beginning ten years ago now leading, translating, yeah, um, it was it was a joy. I mean, it was it was absolute joy to see, and it was the hottest. I think they had record heat index. It was as you said, guys <laughs> yes, might have been there at the I same know, time. Yeah, it was yeah. it was hot. Yeah, and um, but just to see the work and what God was doing there, I think the most compelling thing that I saw is their vision for children to see the next generation. Raised up to follow Jesus, and you know the cities. And Tim, you probably could talk more about this, but in Benny, Tehran, these different areas, those cities are large. So you're in community houses or right up next to each other. And so to say, hey, we've got a week where your kids can come spend time with us and play and hang out. And I mean, I don't think they they do care that they're hearing Christian gospel the gospel, but you could tell the first couple of days, just the excitement. There were so many kids there that don't know Christ. And so to see uh, the, the leaders there and just to be a part of the work that God's doing there, and just very raw, very basic, you know, we're not talking pr- a lot of production. Right, that's right. I mean, yeah. it is. It is, you're in a room, and it's hot, and there's a machine that has ice in it that's blowing cold air, and, you, and you're just hoping that it's going to cool down. Yeah. Um, but and it was, just, it having, was just relating, having just fun. Just relating. Yep. And
0: connecting uh, back to the stories in the Bible, that's right. in the person of Jesus, that's right. Uh, you talk about a group of people living as exiles. You know, we can we can read that in First Peter and try to try to emulate that. Uh, but that is their that is their life. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we didn't solve any problems here today, <laughs> and no one's asking us to. Thankfully, but uh, what we wanted to do is we wanted to walk through some terms. We wanted to walk through a little bit of history. Um, you know, sometimes I turn on the on the television, and I feel like I am reading a book that's about 600 pages, and I just jumped in about 450 pages in, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't really know what I'm reading, but I feel I feel like I should, mm-hmm. and then I feel like I should have an opinion on what I'm reading, and I really have no idea. And so we just wanted to really try to give you the cliff notes version. Um, we really wanted to reintroduce our partners and our friends at the associated Baptist churches in Israel located out of Nazareth. And we just want to close our time and we just want to, we want to pray for them Mm -hmm. and we want to pray for the region uh, and we want to pray for peace. And so if you would allow us to do that, we would just encourage you to pray with us as we close our time. So Chris, would you get us started?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Lord, thank you so much for the people that you love. And I want to just lift up people like Neria, Samaria. Uh, I want to lift up uh, Tarnim, Lord. I want to lift up um, Ziad and Rhonda. I want to lift up uh, Bushara and Rhonda. I want to lift up uh, Tony, Lydia. Uh, there are so many names. Iman, uh, Lord Juliet, who hosted the VBS, Lord Bouchara, as he has been through so much uh, recently, um, but God, you are restoring him. Lord, I just want to I just want to thank you for Bader and his wife Rhonda as they are helping lead an organization that is trying to support this church uh these churches i pray for luna uh, as she helps develop student leaders in that area lord i want to pray for Fadi and um, just there's so many names that i could share god i just lift them up to you pray, pray that you would encourage them in their faith that you would draw them close to you and that lord this time would be a time where you restore to them the joy of your salvation
0: god we do pray for safety uh for all of our friends Uh, those that follow Jesus, call the name of Jesus specifically, um, that they would be salt and light, that you would shield them from any of the extremism and hatred, especially amongst the young population that uh, is so prevalent and the heightened tensions during war. Um, God, we pray for for peace for the whole area, um, but we pray pray specifically that our, um, our friends, our our brothers and sisters in Christ could be, um, they could, They could be peacekeepers. Mm -hmm. That they would be um, effective witnesses to um, the peace that comes from Jesus. That you would allow them to love. You would allow them to spread hope. You would allow them um, just to be different uh, in in a time of war. Um, Father, we have never seen war. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just thankful that Lord. I, my, my children have never seen war, and I can't imagine living through that. And so we ask that um, that it would come to an end, and that there would be peace, there would be security for the entire region, that only through um, Jesus is this conflict that we have outlined in some really broad strokes, uh, is there going to be hope in a future. Um, but I want to pray, uh, as Badir has asked us to pray, that the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and that the name of Jesus would be known and glorified um, throughout this entire region.
2: Father, I echo these prayers. We do pray for peace. Um, You tell us that blessed are the peacemakers, and I pray that in ways big and small that we can be involved in that both here in Greenville and in other parts of the world. So pray for safety, for peace, and for your uh, tender work in people's hearts drawing them to to draw them to yourself and to give people hope and security as well amen
0: amen, amen.